the TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we have got a busy hour coming up and looking forward to hearing from you as well. There's so much on the agenda at the moment. Look, I have worked through January just about every year of my working life. And usually I have a lot of natural disasters, especially in the Southern Hemisphere with the warmer weather, bushfires, et cetera. And very little happening ha- happens in the Northern Hemisphere, except, of course, when it's an election year. So all of a sudden we've got this convergence of news left, right and centre. So it's very, very busy. And if you want to have your say, you can do so. Just jump right in and uh, get it off your chest from the United States or Canada, one 8885 Have you changed your mind about voting for Trump based on the weaponization of the judiciary by the Biden administration? There's a question for you. Are you one of those who weren't too keen on voting for Trump, but understand how important it is to preserve democracy that he actually gets in? And so he'll get your vote. Give us a call on that. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. Should that UK COVID-19 inquiry include the idea that you would investigate the dangers associated with the genetic COVID jabs? This is something that's not being discussed. It's not part of the charter, but it should be. Do you agree with that? Give us a call from the UK or from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. I've got Shane Healy coming up shortly. Shane is a former ADF intelligence officer, and there's plenty to talk about about what's occurring in the Middle East right now. The most politically incorrect commentator in the Southern Hemisphere, Jim Ball, will be joining us this hour as well. And you may have noticed that in Australia today, Uh, For those listening from down under, the Samsung 24 has been released at 5 a.m. today. This is a breakthrough phone. Now, I would argue, being a Samsung mad Android fan, that 22 had it all. 23 had very little extra to motivate you to purchase. But 24 has walked down the AI route And for that reason, it is a phone you should hear about. So we'll talk about that on the program with Alex a little bit later as well. Now, Mayor Eric Adams, he is in all sorts of trouble over migrants, many of whom are illegal migrants. Forget about what's happening on the southern border and Texas's strategy to alleviate the problem. New York is where it's all happening. New York is where all the problems are occurring. Adam says he wants to extend a newly imposed curfew, here we go, control the people at four migrant facilities to other sites in the Big Apple, although New Yorkers remain lukewarm. You better be careful with this. The scepticism from locals on Wednesday comes after the first night of the 11pm to 6am curfew put in place by Adams at four migrant respite centres in the wake of complaints that asylum seekers are panhandling and being a nuisance in the neighbourhoods. We want to really stabilise the areas around the shelters as well as give clear directions on what's expected. See, I'll tell you where I stand on this. You have made the mistake in allowing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, I should say, to be precise, if you take it back two years, 
hundreds of thousands of migrants, illegal, many of them, to come into your city in the first place. That's where your problem is. You don't realise that you've got a population problem and then turn around and introduce curfews to lock up human beings. It's like lockdown for COVID-19. We don't appreciate it. We don't want it. Human beings should not be put through it. But this is Eric Adams. The bloke's going to end up on his backside. Um, very quickly, Dr. Jill Biden spilled the tea on her visit with Queen Elizabeth at Windsor Castle just one year before her death. The first lady of the United States, according to the New York Post, and President Joe Biden sat down to have private tea with the British monarch during the 2021 stateside visit, and it would become the last time they would meet before the Queen passed away in September of 2022, age 96. In Robert Hardsman's new book, the Making of a King, King Charles III and the Modern Monarchy. The royal biographer spoke with um, Jill Biden and recounted the historical visit as detailed in an exclusive excerpt. For the Bidens, a cherished memory would always be tea with the Queen at Windsor Castle. And that was certainly the case in the year before her death. Dr Biden recalled how the president tried to help the Queen during the engagement but the royal, who was always the pillar of proper etiquette, refused. We went up to her apartment and I loved her sense of independence, Dr. Biden recalled. She had a big teapot and Joe said to her, here, let me help you. The Queen had been quite insistent, however, no, 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 you sit. She told the president, I will serve you. You sit. You can just imagine that happening, can't you? Um, that's what a lot of his aides are telling him right now. Just sit there, Joe. Don't do anything. Uh, once tea was served, the trio had no shortage of things to talk about. So there you go, the Queen telling Joe what he's told almost daily by people around him. You just sit. This is TNT. There's a lot going on. So it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, because here we go. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Now, there's so much happening in the Middle East. We are getting some humanitarian aid into various quarters of Gaza. There seems to be some um, battles breaking out in the northern part of Gaza once again. The Houthis aren't backing off and the strikes on their headquarters, um, that seems to continue as well. So the U.S., uh, loves to pick a fight, and right now they are picking a fight with the Houthis, which in a sense is picking a fight with Iran. Let's unpack all of this and get an update on where everything is up to. Shane Healy is a former ADF intelligence officer and a former private military contractor who worked in Iraq. He was twice deployed to Afghanistan. In Australia, he was also part of a tactical assault group where he was involved in several real-time terrorist incidents. As you have heard over the past six or seven weeks, Shane is still tapped in uh, a lot. And what he hears about what's about to happen usually factually turns up several days later. So we're very, very lucky to have him on this program on a regular basis. Shane Healy, welcome back to TNT. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you going? Doing very, very well. Um, I want to talk about Joe Biden. Just off the back of tea with the Queen, I'm not after any kind of intelligence uh, information on his tea with the Queen, but is Joe Biden up for what the Middle East and Eastern Europe looks like at the moment, which is 
massive warfare. Like polls in the US tell us um, that the public don't think he is up to running the country. And wars are massively difficult, especially when you don't actually get involved and you're doing it remotely. It reminds me of what former Security Secretary Robert Gates and President Barack Obama said about him. So you've got to unpack the US architecture. Joe Biden, yes, he's the president, but he doesn't make a lot of these decisions arbitrarily. So he's got the Joint Chief of Staffs that will go to him with advice on military matters. He's got, um, obviously, the National Defence Secretary and the National uh, Counterterrorism Secretary that give him that advice. Mr. President, we need to do this. Mr. President, this is going on. He receives what's called the President's Daily Intelligence Brief from the CIA. So that's how he's kept up to speed. And then from there, he can go, right, give me the A, B, C, and D of where we should put our resources for whatever purpose. Um, I have a lot of faith in the US Joint Chief of Staff. The other thing is, um, in the US system, they've got Title 50. So he can't really do a lot conventionally without going to Congress. But he does have Title 10, which means that uh, the CIA and other uh, elements can do some covert type of actions. So, for example, the Osama bin Laden raid was done under Title 10, which is the, pres uh, the president approved national mission unit. So, um, and again, if you look at that photo of when they did the Osama raid, there was a room full of very, very smart people. Yeah. And I have faith that those people are giving him the best advice. So back to Biden, though, uh, Barack Obama didn't think that he successfully carried out too many operations, and neither uh, did that other gentleman I spoke about, Robert Gates. Yeah, and I agree, and what they used to call him, Sleepy Joe, but in reality, the vice president doesn't have much uh, authority compared to the president. He doesn't get briefed from the National Security Council. Um, so... Would he cognitively know everything that's going on? Yes, he gets his daily president's brief. He has the ability to ask questions, but they also get to shape him. Mr. President, it is in uh, the nation's best interest we conduct these operations. Um, and again, I like to uh, feel that he does have that ability in the current context. But he's facing a very different Israel. Usually they are on the same page. They're certainly not on the same page about what may happen to the Gaza Strip when war has ended. Now, how does he handle that? Uh, so, again, I think he's, to be fair to him, he, he's had a pretty good relationship over the time with the Israelis. He knows he's in an election year, so he's going to take a lot more advice. If this was 12 months ago, I'd be a lot more worried. Uh, but he also knows that he wants to rerun, re rewin another four years in the White House, and he can't have the US sit on the sidelines. They've got to take a more active approach, which is why I think some of those preemptive strikes that the president ordered uh, were taken place in Yemen uh, recently. Let's talk about that. Um, I can't help but think that America's defence sector has this long-held desire and ambition to engage Iran in a larger fight. Am I wrong? No, no, no. And I think this started in 1979 with the revolution. Um, and if you remember Operation uh, Eagle Claw, when the US went to get their ambassadors and diplomatic staff that were held hostage failed, 
And that's what created the Delta Force and SEAL Team 6 was from that failed mission. And I think that some of those older, uh, quote-unquote, heads and, and people in the Pentagon and in Washington haven't forgotten that lesson. And uh, that's why there's always been that deep-seated um, anti-Iranian rhetoric, which is why Iran has stayed under the threshold and used proxies. The fact that they're coming out currently and being so overt in their, uh, you know, firing missiles into Pakistan, mm. firing missiles into Iraq, targeting America, um, they're really pushing the envelope. And I guess you're right, they're going back to that Biden's weak. They would never try this with Trump. Um, but I don't take, having been in the service when Obama was president, it was his weakness that caused a lot of this. When he came out in 2013 and said the red line in Syria, if you use chemical weapons, you're crossing the red line, and Assad, Assad used chemical weapons against his people, and he did nothing, yeah. you saw that the, the, the timeline is straight after that, the rise of Russia, the rise of ISIS. Yeah. Once he cried wolf, he opened the gate for every other regime, didn't he? 100%. And, and I've briefed this for years, that if Obama had have stuck to his word at that point, Half of what's going on globally now would never have happened. Wow, that's interesting. Humanitarian aid has begun to flow into Gaza, we're hearing from several sources, thanks to a deal brokered by France and Qatar. It's hopefully going to the hostages, which was the aim, also to the Palestinians. Is this sustainable, though? Can you, can you have a deal frequently throughout a war to virtually have a pause or a partial pause in a section of the front line to bring in humanitarian aid. How often does that happen? Well, not really, because we've spent the last 20 years fighting counterinsurgency uh, wars where it hasn't been that hard. There hasn't been the essential front line that we've got in Gaza. The key thing is the, the um, Hamas leadership live in Qatar, and the Qataris fund a fair bit of this with the Saudis. So they actually have a lot more power than people realise to tell the Hamas leadership and fighters, this is going to the people. We can't have Palestinians dying. We've got to keep the narrative that it's Israel causing this, not us. So I think the fact that Qatar are leading this is a positive sign that that, that humanitarian aid will get to the Palestinian people. Is there anything we should read into France being involved in brokering this, or is this a, a position they often hold? Uh, this is France, the white flag. They're very, very, you know, um, same in Ukraine. They're usually the go-to, sit on the fence, we can talk with everyone. Um, at the same time, there's been a, they do have a massive terrorism and, and Islamic issue in their own country, mm. so they do have a vested interest yeah. to make this um, peace settle but they're not part of the Five Eyes. They're not part of the perceived American alliance. They weren't in Afghanistan and Iraq. So they are a decent global um, countermeasure for the British and the Americans. You make a really good point about their own internal cultural and religious problems and the extremism they face on a regular basis and why they would want to get involved in seeing Palestinians receive humanitarian aid. It's a very good point. Shane, I've got to take a quick break. We'll come back in just a second right here at TNT. TNT's Kate Shamarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs, 
What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shimarani on today's News Talk TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. So you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Just before I return to Shane, Brian from Queensland has sent me an email, and Brian says, Chris, I listened to you on Spotify around 4 a.m. the following morning, so I can't phone in, but I'm pleased you briefly covered the farmers' protest in Germany. We've covered it on uh, a couple of occasions this week already. We are not seeing anything about this from our mainstream media. I wonder why, he writes, nor are we seeing much on the protest in Spain 
and the rest of Europe. Well, nor did we see too much on the protests in Ireland or the Netherlands, because what these farmers are doing in massive numbers in Germany, which has eclipsed everything that we saw in Ireland and also the Netherlands, is that they are opposing these extremely expensive and damaging measures to reduce CO2. That is the that is the nub of this entire protest. You can talk about taxes and you can talk about other measures, but they are designed to take down CO2 and to change the way these farmers farm. And they won't have it. They don't believe that these kinds of measures will do anything but send them broke. It won't save the planet and it certainly won't enable Germany to save the planet, considering the fact that Germany in particular is not a major CO2 emitter, if you believe that CO2 is warming the planet, of course. Let's get back to Shane Healy. Shane, let's talk about the Red Sea briefly. Uh, depending on what you're reading today, I I, I hear that the Houthis are, are firing anti-aircraft missiles, that the Allied Coalition is still taking out various um headquarters or facilities belonging to the Houthis. Um, I don't know what exactly has happened, but I know that both sides aren't backing off. Uh, how is this coalition impacting this trade route? Is trade still getting through now or are the Houthis doing a good enough job to stop it? Well, if you recall, they were doing a very good job because it had stopped. Companies like Maersk and that weren't going through the Red Sea. They have recommenced their movements right. back through the Red Sea. The Americans, as we anticipated, have taken control of, of not only that, but the Sea of Arabia and further the Sea of Aden. So um, there's a little bit more normality. Their rhetoric is going to be uh, they're not going to back down Rhetorically, and and in that information operations, but as far as militarily on the ground or at sea, they're a long way off where they were a month ago. Right. So it's having the counter offensive is having a degree of success, but you you and I know the Houthis won't give up, will they? Um, they their perception of not giving up, no, but they'd be very limited. If you remember a few years ago, the Somali pirates were hijacking a lot of yep. uh, ships and then all of a sudden we don't really hear about that anymore. The You, you hear um, from the military their failures, but you don't hear their successes unless you right. get like Captain okay. Phillips. But, but, um, so you think well, it'll be effective and they'll back off? Yeah, yeah. I've been talking to some colleagues that are involved in those operations and, and they're 24 hours. Like, the Americans don't go, we're going to do it for three or four hours. They, The US Navy operate 24-7. Okay, you know your stuff. I take what you're saying as uh, what will happen. Now, the case of these two missing Navy SEALs is so tragic, but the story is also entirely heroic. Am I right in saying that you knew one of these SEAL members? Yeah, I uh, had deployed to Afghanistan in 2012 with the SEAL that dived in after his dive buddy. To try and save him? Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you saw them. They were doing a boarding of a uh, Somali junk boat that was carrying weaponry outside of Iran. So it was Iranian weaponry. Um, and when they were boarding across at Sea State 3, so... You picture the uh, news images of the harbour when there's a lot of rain and the ferries going up and down. That's kind of what the sea was doing at this time. And they were transporting from their boarding vessel onto that boat. 
when a wave came up and knocked the first seal overboard and his dive buddy, the LPO, uh, he dived straight in to save his friend. That's what brothers do. Wow. Heroic stuff. Yeah, he's a, he's a father with a young family. I'm not allowed to uh, say what SEAL team, but I can say it wasn't SEAL Team 6. It was a regular SEAL team, a uh, very, very experienced Navy SEAL. This wasn't incompetence. This wasn't uh, a technical failure. This is just the fog of war. Yeah. Uh, but he gave his life to save a buddy. Tough physical weather conditions can take lives, exactly. Now, I want to move a little further away from the Middle East and go to an issue that seems to be boiling over in Kiev. What do you make of the Australian government refusing to send a requested fleet of Taipan helicopters to Kiev? Now, the government keeps telling us that these helicopters need to go to the wreckers because they had one crash which killed a couple of uh Officers, do you read any more into this? Is it is it an indication from the Australian government that they're sick of signing checks for Kiev? No, no, I, I just think this is, to be honest, this is frustrating me severely. I was in the military and uh, lost friends during the Black Hawk disaster in '96. Uh, my cousin was an Army Black Hawk pilot. Um, you know, I know a lot of these pilots and I've spent many, many hours in these helicopters. If our defence force views that they're unsafe, which is what they have and why they're grounded, why give them to the Ukrainians, right? That that might sound great, oh, the Australian Art or Australian Defence Forces or government has given these helicopters, but they're unsafe. Mm. The first time one crashes in Ukraine with some Ukrainian soldiers, the headline will be Australian government gave faulty helicopters to the Ukrainians. Like, yeah. you can't have it both ways. Yeah. We grounded them because they're not safe. Yeah, that, that's exactly what the reaction will be if it happens. It'll say that the Australian government has got blood on their hands. Yeah, exactly right. They're, they're, in some ways, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. I saw last night in the news there was some Ukrainian citizens having a protest, you know, give us these helicopters. They failed to realise they're unsafe. Like, mm. we had three crash Four Australian uh, service personnel died in North Queensland during an exercise, which is why we're not using them. Do they not see that? Like like you just said, we give them to Ukraine. That sounds great. We've donated some helicopters. The moment one crashes, they gave us faulty helicopters and they've cost us troops. Yeah, very true. One last one and closer to Australia. You've been commenting on social media, I've seen, about a story coming out of Victoria, and it's about the enormous amount of money spent on thwarting terror attacks in Melbourne. What do you know about this? So I know a lot because I'm involved uh, and have been involved in this for about 10 years. Um, uh, Half of the issue is they're talking about freedom of uh, information to get funding for this. Now, there's cases like Coloured Tempsar, Hanifi Hollis and some others where the AFP actually insert agents to essentially make terrorists. And I've gone on the record many times about this, and I even put a submission into Insulam last year about this. There's a lot of uh, hard work being done by legal aid solicitors for free. They get a budget. It's, it's, it's not like they can just do endless invoices. Here is your $60,000. That's all you get to defend this person. And I know, including myself, expert witnesses that have spent hours for free. So it's just an overblown reaction from the AFP trying to get money because some um, 
states, for example, in New South Wales, they deemed Mertnay a fixated person rather than a terrorist because they want to keep control of it rather than it being a Commonwealth terrorism fence. Right. And there's some friction within, inside that community. And the sad thing is our joint counter-terrorism teams are phenomenal. So they are really, really good. They've stopped many, many terrorism exercises or attacks. So I was really, really offended and upset when this story was released, which is why I was so vocal on social media. Okay, so behind the scenes, it is a pitch for more cash. I want to ask you this, just on that subject, what percentage of terror attempts are thwarted that we hear about? What 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 are the percentage of the ones that we hear about and the percentage of the ones that never are made public? 70%. We hear we hear about 70 or uh, you, you hear the arrests, you hear the trials, you don't hear the interventions, you don't hear the uh flipping. Most of the time when they find out about an attempted attack is because they've done intervention and one of the members has actually provided information or it's come out of a group within a mosque or something. Right. None of that is ever reported. And right. this is the the legwork, the very, very good work that ASIO and the AFP, New South Wales Police, Victoria, whoever, that do. So if you look at the, the um, Sakariah brothers up in Queensland, one of them was the first suicide bomber for uh, Jabat al-Nusra, they took down that whole cell in Brisbane, and there was that wasn't really reported because it was a, a success. Okay, that's uh, interesting. Uh, it is reassuring that this this work still goes on when we are focused on so many other issues. Um, great to have you on, mate. Thank you very much. So much happening in this part of the world. We'll catch up next week. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Good on you. Shane Healy, former ADF intelligence officer and a rundown of what's happening in the Middle East in Kiev over those helicopters and also closer to home in Australia and what seems to be a uh, a pitch for more money by the federal police. Let's take a break. Get you some news right here at TNT. Here's a little news flash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The US has carried out a fresh wave of airstrikes against Houthi sites in Yemen just hours after designating the Iranian-backed group a terrorist organisation. The CEO of JP Morgan Chase has slammed Democrats for demonising Trump supporters, saying it's time they grew up and actually listened to their concerns. And it's been revealed the US Centers for Disease Control pushed experimental COVID jabs onto the public despite knowing the shots were damaging the heart. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio. Well, former U.S. President Donald Trump has gone from being praised to being pilloried in the space of 24 hours. After emerging from Iowa victorious, a judge today threatened to kick Trump out of a New York courtroom after he kept making loud remarks during a defamation trial against him. He became the uh, the defendant and the heckler. A key to the outcome in November, as I mentioned at the very start of the show today, is going to be what the public makes of his frequent court appearance in between election campaign rallies? Will it remind them of how chaotic his life has been, especially when he was president? 
or will it remind them about how Biden weaponized the judiciary to go after him? Let's bring in news and current affairs commentator Jim Ball from Australia on this, and he'll talk about a whole lot more. Jim is a former ratings winner on nighttime commercial radio stations 2UE and 2GB. He is the most politically incorrect commentator we could find in the Southern Hemisphere. We love having him on. Jim, welcome back to TNT. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks for inviting me back. I'm waiting for the time when, oh, the phone doesn't ring. <laughs> <laughs> we all know As what that's like. I was going to say, we, we, we've all been there. <laughs> the but just primaries that, have begun, Jim, yeah. and Trump has come out of Iowa with a great deal of momentum. Uh, as foreigners, though, as non-Americans, we see this preliminary battle as an oddity to the mm. Westminster system, mm. don't we? We do. Just before we go get into that, this court case, he's involved with this other court case. First of all, all the chaos. Uh, yes, it's around him, but he's not causing it. This is all caused by the courts uh, or lawfare. So it, it, it seems, uh, and, and a whole lot of bogus cases. So you get the impression that, oh, yeah, Trump's chaotic chaos central, but it's chaos caused by others to to bring him down. And this one by whatever her name is, Jean, the, the rape case in the, yep. right, that was mid-90s. I recall when this first, first happened, she couldn't recall the time of year. That's right. Time of day. She couldn't recall anything about it other than, Something happened in a change room in the middle of the day in a department store. Does that sound even remotely credible to anyone? I don't. No. I don't think it is. But just back on the uh, on the primaries and and just on that one in uh, um, Iowa, uh, Trump won ninety uh, all but one of the ninety nine counties, and that county he didn't win. And I was just reading something literally ten minutes ago. That county he didn't win was because they ran out of whatever they print for people to mark their their little ballot or whatever it's called. That's Now, we don't know whether he would have won it, but the point is they ran out of uh, the little docket things. Yep. But just it, the whole thing is a bit weird to us. We have pre-selections in Australia uh, where liberal people go along and they vote to pre-select whoever, and you've got to be a member of the party. In uh, Labor, they do similarly. But in America, in I think I counted up, there is uh, 24 states. So there's 50 all up. 26 have closed primaries where only the, the members of the party can vote. But the other 24 have two kinds of open primaries yeah. where I can be a member of the Labor Party and go, on, in, go along and, and uh, vote in a Liberal Party pre-selection. Mm. Now, I'm sorry, but that's just one of the crazy kinks of the American system. It is it is truly a, a bizarre system. But um, it, It's difficult to actually look at a system like this and work out what you're actually getting in the result. Is it a twisted result? Is it an intentionally twisted result by those who don't support the candidates? Well, look, it's difficult to say now. After all we've seen over the last, well, since 2016, 17 through to 2020 and so yeah. on, uh, it's difficult to know. Yeah. There's just so much jiggery-pokery, yes. you know, right? <laughs> Running out of ballots, machines doing dumb things, people being caught on camera, putting yeah. ballots through more than once. Uh, just, But on that whole business, okay, Trump won. Uh, looks like he's going to clean up in New Hampshire as well. Uh, I mean, he's 40 points ahead of, of uh, Nikki Haley. 
I think it's about 40 points. Look, Dick, she could be a wild card. Who knows? But here's an interesting one that occurred to me this week, and I've written to a couple of journalists about it that I know who have said no. But this is my thinking. Um, and I don't follow the polls, as I've said before, and all of the punditry and all the polls and so on, because really they're, they're presuming and they're they're basically based on a false premise, and that is that Biden will be the candidate. I don't think he will. They've got to figure out a way to bypass Kamala Harris. But when they do that, they're talking about Michelle Obama. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But here's the interesting one. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was not, not much was said, John Kerry, now he was a 2004 candidate against mm. George Bush. Mm. He resigned from his being the czar of climate change. Yeah, he did. He did. And he said he was resigning to go and help Joe Biden with his campaign. But I'm thinking <laughs> Biden's beyond help. I'm thinking Kerry may be, uh, may be warming up in the bullpen, Ooh. if I can use some Rodeo-type terminology. He, this is not his first Rodeo, let me say that. And yeah. he's warming up in the bullpen to come out doing the yeehaw business <laughs> uh, sometime later on this year as the candidate. Now... It's uh, it's a wild idea. I'd give that, but a two thousand four redux, I think it's uh, it's highly possible. Now let me take it to the next level. John Kerry, the candidate, Nikki Haley, his VP. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, apparently there's a story around today that one of the uh, major donors for the Democratic Party is actually her major donor as well. I've just the name is just. Oh, uh, this is the guy from LinkedIn. Yes, um, Reed yeah. Hoffman. Yes, that's billionaire, him. yeah, uh, and he's been funding her. Yeah. He's also now. What what else was he funding? He funded some really nefarious. And I can't think what it was. I only read about this yesterday. Mm. Uh, but yeah, look, he's these billionaires are strange people. Yeah. You would, I cannot get my head around someone who's made money out of the system, has made America as is work for them, with all the opportunity. But then they turn against it and they're trying to bring it down. I, I can't get my head around that. That's interesting. Listen, let's uh, have a look at China now. It didn't take long for the reinvigorated China-Australia relationship to find shaky ground. The Chinese are angry that we have blamed one of their naval vessels for injuring our divers, which of course took place, and uh, because we're supporting free democratic elections in Taiwan. What's emerging here? Has the uh, honeymoon all of a sudden been called off? Well, look, it's not new. Um, in 2017, I think it was, when Malcolm Turnbull was Prime Minister, uh, China read the Riot Act then as well. They warned us. It was the same old, same old sabre-rattling we're hearing now. Uh, they were warning Australia about upsetting their relationship and we had to just tone it down and shut up. Otherwise, uh, there'd be all kinds of ramifications. Well, I think to myself, well, what kind of ramifications? What could they possibly do? Mm. And, of course, you think, well, um, the supply chains. If they decide that they want to switch off the supply change chains, um, they could do it. Now, yep. it would be a wild step, but it's doable, and they could have a real impact on the way we behave. A bit like you know, saying, son, you can't drive the car for three weeks. You've had a couple of speeding tickets, whatever. Uh, they could lower the boom on Australia. But on Taiwan, um, yeah, here it is. I'm just looking down here on my bullet points. Uh, 
China issued an extraordinary warning just prior to Taiwan's presidential election, saying that any miscalculations in Canberra's ties with the uh, Taiwanese government would see the Australian people pushed over the edge of the abyss. You know, that's pretty graphic. Strong sort of, words. Strong words, graphic language, and you think, yeah. what? and that's where I'm thinking about the supply chains. And, of course, we've got to remember, and a lot of people think, well, Taiwan, who cares? It's 24 million people. Island, what well, I don't know how big it is, biggest Tasmania, a bit bigger maybe, probably. Um, they are ground zero for the production of chips. Now, a lot of those chips, yeah, they're in our cars. I mean, I bought a Nissan Patrol two years ago. I had to wait 12 months for it because uh, the the, uh, the the chip shortage, right? Now, a lot of those chips are in American armaments, aircraft, tanks, and so on. So if China were to get control of Taiwan, they would get control of or get a look into the uh, the the cockpit of an American aircraft. It'd be disastrous for the Western world. You're it not, did. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. Would. Now, yeah. listen. I want to ask you this: a Sydney Islamic leader who's friendly with former international sports stars Sonny Bill Williams and Anthony Mundine has delivered an explosive sermon in which he prayed to Allah to allow Jews to be killed one by one. Mm. That is anti-Semitism writ large. What's he still living there and being able? to preach at the uh, mosque. And why aren't the police? Um, and, and by the way, I think Sonny B. Williams and Anthony Mundine, they were major fundraisers to get the mosque built. Uh, and you often find that uh, converts to any religion, all, always the, 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 you know, the, the ones that are, are really hot to trot with their newfound religion. But you've got to wonder why it is yeah. that this kind of language goes on yeah, and, and is allowed to go on, and the police do absolutely oh, nothing. Stinks. Now, the, the 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 is it because? Well, I'm not quite sure why it could be, but by not doing anything at all about it, you're encouraging more of the same. Mm. Hey, I got away with it, then I'll keep doing it. Yeah. And at some point, and they talk about um, when they use that word anti-Zionism. Let's call it what it is. It's anti-Semitism. They they're trying to skirt around it by calling it anti-Zionism. They talk about one at a time, but each of his words, uh, to what extent do they do they uh, convert radicals one yeah. at a time? Exactly. Yeah, that is the primary point. One last one for you. Sure. What is all the fuss and uh, threat and strike action going on at the ABC? Is this over the? Um, the removal of that casual radio employee over summer? It is. She did. She had a five gig uh, set of shifts. And on day two or whatever, maybe day one, uh, she went over the top and she um, posted stuff on social media that she was warned not to do. Before she, before her first day, they said, do not do this. But right. she did. And so the, uh, the ABC, we've got the uh, staff demanding demanding i mean who the hell's running the show in there yeah yeah and i'm just reading here abc staff have also requested management and board members sit with unions to quote establish a culturally informed process for appropriately supporting staff who face criticism oh the little the snowflakes or or yeah now look chris try this that's the abc try the same tactic with Telstra, 
BHP. Yeah. Um, you know, Reinhardt, Hancock Prospecting, Santos. Good luck. See mm. how you go. Staff demands. It just it strikes me as, and you may remember back in 2020, uh, the uh, senator for Arkansas, a guy called Tom Cotton, wrote a piece. He was invited to write an op-ed piece in the New York Times. And the staff, and it went, it got published, and the staff went nuts. How dare that be allowed? Now, the poor bloody op-ed editor, got the name of um, Bennett, can't think of his first name, uh, he had to resign. The, the op-ed was about, he was, uh, basically, Cotton was saying that uh, Donald Trump should use the military to suppress the violent protests, coast-to-coast violent protests by Black Lives Matter. And... So they protested and they won. They got his they got his scalp. But here's the thing, and the point is that Latif was sacked because, just like Claudine Gay at Harvard and now Fannie Willis down in Georgia, she thought she could leverage her culture and play the race card under the umbrella of DEI, this diversity, equity, and inclusion, and breach the protocols that she was warned about. Before she started work, yeah. so they're all they're all running for the race car, yeah, and the yeah. culture. Well, car. it does prove one thing, Jim, that the ABC staff in Australia are revolting. Oh, definitely in more ways than one. <laughs> thing is with Latouf, um, then the trouble she's caused. What media outfit is going to offer her a job? In the there future, there is that. There is that. I've got Absolutely. to run, mate. Yep. Thank you Understand. very much for your time and thank- your commentary. We love it. Thank you very Thanks, much, Chris. Jim thank Ball you. on TNT. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my licence, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. Hi, I'm Abel. I often forget to mention that he's an amputee because Abel will try any activity he can. My arm helps me with basically everything. He doesn't see what he can't do, he sees what he can do. Yeah, this is helping. The War Amps has just given him the ability to do all the activities every kid can do. When you donate to the War Amps, you help kids like me. Thank you! This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. Well, we had a big cyber and technology segment yesterday on the program, and for most of it, we focused on AI, which I thought was really, really informative. And uh, today, I just wanted to do a quick kind of pinch hit, because at 10 o'clock this morning, Australian time, 
which is around about, let me see, uh, seven hours ago, the new Samsung Android phone, the S24 series phones, were unveiled. Now, I'm hearing that because of their bent on AI, they are very different to what we've had before from Samsung. And I thought it was well worth getting our tech guru, which is uh, Alex Zaharofroyd, back onto the program today for about five minutes to tell us what we can learn from a brand new top of the line uh, smartphone produced by Samsung. He's from techadvice.life. Alex, welcome back. G'day, Chris. It's great to be here. And actually, it was about 12 hours ago. It was 10 a.m. in the U.S. on the 17th, which was right, 5 a.m. Okay. 5 a.m. for us Got in it. Australia. So nearly 12 hours ago now. Okay. So 12 hours ago, did anything in that unveiling impress you? Yes, and look, I got a chance actually to see these at CES, but I was sworn to secrecy because it was right. under embargo. And uh, look, it looks very much the same. This is the S23. So you've got the same camera array on the back, but instead of a curved screen, it's totally flat. So it makes it much easier to be writing things to not have to worry about the uh, the. So the hang on, this edge. is S24 you're talking about. S24, yeah. The, cool. I've got an S23 here. The, the look oh, is right, very okay. similar. The look Sorry. is similar. It's yep. the same sort of language, but the, the screen is totally flat. It will make it easier to apply screen protectors. Uh, we have seven years, not only of security updates, but seven years of operating system updates. So they're matching Google in making sure that your phone has a long life. And also they're matching Apple because Apple is well known to have many years of updates for their devices. Now we have the AI features. Those are the ones that are really standing out. So the first feature is the live translate capability between 13 different languages. And I actually tested this out. I rang a couple of uh, people, one in Korean who was speaking Korean, one who spoke Spanish. And you, uh, when, when they answer the call, they're told that this call is going to be translated. So hang and, on, you you have to set up the call through an app, do you? Well, it's just through your telephone, your normal telephone. There's, there's, it's just the normal telephone app on the phone. And the other person needs any form of phone at all, another brand of Android, an iPhone, or even a landline. They'll get a notification that this call is about to be translated. And if they answer the phone and say, hola, you know, in Spanish, mm. I'll hear a, a second or so later, hello. And then I'll say what I want to say. And then within within half a second, I can hear what I'm saying. And I can see it on the screen, but I can, I can uh, hear what I'm saying translated into Spanish or into uh, Korean or so, Chinese. So hang on, this is triggered because it picks up a foreign language? That's correct, yeah. So it's hearing oh. a different language. You and and look, you can you can tell it which language you want. So if you know you're going to speak to somebody in Spanish, you can actually say that I'm going to speak English. That person's going to speak Spanish, and uh, the languages are Chinese, English, French, German, Hindi, Italian, Japanese, Korean, Polish, Portuguese, Thai, Spanish, and Vietnamese. So that's you know the pretty good suite of the world's sort of top languages, and more will be coming. No third-party apps are required. But I've tried this, and when I was, and I've actually recorded it. I haven't put it on my site yet, but I will. But when you speak, what you say is translated. When they speak, you hear what they're saying, and and then you you can hear and see the translation as well. So it it's like a Star Trek translator. And look, you can replicate this by using the Google Translate app, but it's very fiddly in comparison. On the Samsung, it's very smooth, which is pretty cool. Okay, so what other AI capabilities does it have? 
Sure. So then you have the interpreter mode. So this is where live conversations are instantly translated on a split screen view. So people standing opposite each other can read a text transcription of what the other person has said. Now, Google Translate can already do that. And I've shown that to many people and it works really well. But again, this is built into the phone. No extra apps required. So There's if I go to a press conference featuring Vladimir Putin, I will see a written interpretation of what he said. That's right. Can translate it into English. And there's no reason why I can't speak it out loud for you as well, like the Google Translate app can. But the whole idea is that, you know, you're trying to make conversation effortless. And as long as the other person can read, as long as you can read, then what they're saying is, is instantly transcribed into your language and, and vice versa. Now, another feature is called Chat Assist. And this is where when you're sending a message to somebody, you can actually have the tone of that message change. So it can be conversational to a friend. If you are a young person, don't necessarily know how to speak in a more business-like manner to your boss, you can have it change into a more formal style. You can even have it change into a Shakespearean style if you want to be have a bit of fun, you know? So it can, it can modify and change the way that you've uh, written something, change the tone, and uh, it does that through the, through the uh, Samsung AI keyboard. Now, there's also a note assist feature. So you've taken some notes, whether you've handwritten them using the stylus, using the little pen that's in the bottom of the of the phone, or, or you've uh, or you've typed it in, uh, you know, tapping away at the keyboard, and normally you just end up with a whole screen of notes. Well, the note assist feature can put that into bullet points. It can clean it up. It can, if you have handwriting that's sort of going different angles on the page, it can straighten that handwriting out for you. It can also give you an AI-generated summary of the note that you've taken, and and that way you can share just the most important points with with somebody else. And and finally, with the with the AI side of things for the for the note taking, there's a new transcript uh, Samsung app that allows you to take a recording of a group of people or yourself. And then it can split what's been said into speaker one, speaker two, speaker three, right. have the transcription there very clearly and accurately. And it can even translate that into another language if you want to. So is, North- this is not necessarily Samsung technology. This is transcript with a K technology, is it? Well, it's 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 Because Samsung's they've already AI. got a very good app that does this sort of stuff. Yeah, there is an app called Otter, O-T-T-E-R dot yeah. A-I. Yeah. But to do that, you've got to pay 20 bucks a month right. for that feature. This is just built in. Right. And, and um, Google's Pixel 8 and 8 Pro also has the uh, the recorder app with the voice recorder. It can do something similar, but I don't think it's splitting it up into the different voices for you. Okay. So this is an example of how little AI features that seem like magic will soon just become a standard part for everyone that's using this phone. So I've got a 22. I didn't bother with the 23. I should consider the 24. You should. Now, Samsung did say that later this year, a number of those features will actually be backported to select older devices. Whether the S22 makes the cut, I don't know. But if you want them straight away, if you want them first up, then you need to get one of the new. the the top price very quickly, about 30 seconds left. The top price? Sure. Well, the price for the S24, $13.99. For the S24 Plus, $16.99, and for the S24 Ultra, starts at $21.99. Okay. All right, mate. Thank you very much at short notice to come on and give us a a quick uh, burst of all of that. Much appreciated. Thank Thank you. Check my website. Watch the keynote. Plenty more details we didn't get around to talking about. Yes, exactly. That is techadvice.life for Alex Zaharoff-Royt. 
There you go. You've got a quick burst of what the 24 is all about in the Samsung range. I'm out of here. Dean Macken is up next. Let's get together at the same time tomorrow. Lots of great guests and lots of big subjects to tear into. This is Chris Smith on TNT. TNT.